take your Bibles and turn with me back to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would please. Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up today looking at the uh, second part of the message that we began last week. Lord, teach us to pray. And as I mentioned to you last week, a lot of people refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I do not. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is that found in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this prayer in Matthew 6 is rather the model prayer because in this prayer Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and we covered last week what, what motivated, what, what was behind this teaching was when the disciples looked at the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. They were so moved by what they saw by his own example. They said, Lord, would you teach us to pray the way you pray? And so uh, this teaching was the result of that. And so I think a better, better title for it would be the model prayer. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We'll begin reading there in verse 5 and read down through verse 15. Jesus said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Lord we thank you for this glorious opportunity that your word tells us that we have to come boldly into your presence. And I think of what James says in James 5. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And so we're told there to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. And Lord, what a beautiful promise we're giving, given there that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You tell us that we're to pray without ceasing. Lord, forgive us for the days that go by that we do not shut ourselves off from the world and unto you and pray. 
God, I pray that there would be a great hunger and thirst in our hearts to commune with you. Father, I pray for that one this morning. I would be amiss to think that everybody in here has a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10 that it is only through Christ that we can come boldly and with confidence into your throne room. And so, Lord, the one here today who does not know Christ can't really develop a prayer life the way we're talking about. All they can really say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I pray that they would do that today, that they would be saved. That they would surrender their lives to Jesus Christ so that they can go on to develop a prayer life. Father, such a blessed opportunity that we have to get away from all the distractions, the cares and the worries of the world and to pour our hearts out to you. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned last week, we began looking at the subject of prayer from this text. I think we all realize that we certainly need to be more of a praying people. Folks, there's power in prayer because in prayer we're talking to the sovereign God of the universe. And the Bible assures us that He hears us. Now for some, because of that assurance that He hears us, perhaps we need to be a little more careful of what we ask for. I think, for instance, of a, of a humorous, humorous story, a true story that I read about one time that certainly uh, illustrates this. You see, during a morning worship service, a woman by the name of Ellen noticed a very nice-looking young man sitting by himself on the back row of the church. Now, as a single woman, she had a vested interest in meeting him. And so she approached him with an extended hand and said, Well, hello there. Uh, Nice to have you at church today. My name is Ellen. Well, all of a sudden, the man began to shake and he turned white as a sheet and he fled out of the church that morning. Well, he came back the next week and he found that woman and he said, I need to apologize to you for the way I acted last week. I was rude to you. But he said, you need to understand something. I have lost my wife. Her name was Ellen. And ever since she passed away, I've been asking God to send me another Ellen. And so when you came and introduced yourself as Ellen, it was just about more than I could take. Well, Bob and Ellen Price have now been happily married for many years and they're thankful for the way that God answers prayer sometimes in very unusual ways. Now without trying to complicate prayer, I do want us to realize that we need to pray correctly. There are biblical instructions that we're given as to how we as the people of God ought to pray. 
And of course, we're also warned about some real dangers in praying. I think of several of those. First of all, uh, not praying is certainly a danger. And not praying can reflect a laziness in our devotion. Folks, if we don't pray, we're going to miss a huge blessing. James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. God has tied certain blessings directly to prayer and we're going to miss all of that if we don't pray. Well, not just laziness, but it could also reflect human pride if we don't pray. You see, we may have the attitude that God, we can just make it through each day and each week fine without you. And so we never go to God and pour out those burdens on our heart before Him because somehow or another we think we can just make it through life fine the way we are. Also another danger would be a lack of uh, faith, unbelief. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus directly tied faith and prayer together. And he warned us that where we don't pray, it could reflect a heart of unbelief. Well, another danger is praying incorrectly. We can run the risk of praying selfishly. We can pray for things outside of the will of God. We can pray for things that would be a detriment to the cause of Christ. And we can pray for things that would ultimately hurt us if God answered those petitions. Aren't you glad that God has not answered every prayer that you've ever made to Him? Well, with that being said, we began looking last week at the pattern for effectively praying here in Matthew chapter 6. And we looked at the prohibition how not to pray, and we saw that we're not to pray to be seen by men. We're not to pray with vain babbling, thinking that we've got to dial up certain words or formulas in order to be heard, and and if we don't come up with just the right phrase, then maybe God won't hear us. That's foolishness. And we saw the, the prescription to pray, how to pray, that we're going to continue looking at today. And from last week we saw that we need to go to the right source as we pray. We understand that we're going to our Father who is in heaven. We go to Him with the conviction that He loves us, He cares for us. We go understanding that prayer is between a person and God. It's not something we do to make a big public display of it. And we go to Him with the right priorities. And those right priorities that we looked at last week is that for God's name to be hallowed. That is people on the face of the earth uh, think about God, that we would think about God in the right terms, that we would give His name all the respect and all the honor and all the glory that His name is due. That we would pray for the coming of His kingdom and that we would pray for His will to be done on earth. Now folks, I want you to notice that all of those that we looked at last week have to do with God's interest. A common thread of the prayers of the Bible, and I think why they were so powerful, is because they commonly began by praying for God's interest as a priority. 
I think of King Solomon when he finished building that temple. And they were having that dedication ceremony. And, and Solomon led the people in prayer. And Solomon asked God to do the very things that God had said in his word that he would do. And so essentially Solomon was praying the word of God back to God. Now commonly the biblical prayers of ancient times were like that. They were so powerful because of the way that they focused in on God's glory. And we know that we need to emulate that. We're to pray for God's name to be hallowed. We're to pray for God's kingdom to, be, uh, to come. And we're to pray for God's will to be done on earth. Now today we're going to change gears a bit, okay? We're going to uh, today begin looking at the second half of this model prayer that focuses in on man's needs. Sadly, that's where we start in many of our prayers. We go before God and, and we, we treat God like He's this cosmic Santa Claus and we just start saying immediately as soon as we get into our prayer time God I need this and I want this and we focus in on ourselves and again we're to focus in on God first but after focusing in on God then we turn to our needs because after all we do have needs we live in a fallen world we live in a world where it's very difficult oftentimes to be a Christian, to be salt and light. And we go through each day and we realize, but by the grace of God we would stumble and fall. But by the grace of God we would not be able to give Him glory in this world that we ought to. And But by the grace of God we wouldn't have everything we need in our lives every day in order to live. And so we realize how frail life is. And realizing how frail life is, we realize that we have needs. And so it's okay to ask for God to supply our needs. After all, He is our Heavenly Father. And He loves us. And He cares for us. And so this morning we're going to continue looking at that prescription, how we're to pray. And the first thing I want you to notice uh, under this that, we, that we're going to talk, talk about today that we need to pray for is we need to make a petition for our daily provision. There in verse 11, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Now this petition can cover all of our physical needs. Martin Luther commented that this petition for God to provide our daily bread could likewise encompass a healthy body, good weather, a home, a family, as well as food. I think Luther was right on. It is utterly absurd what church leader Jerome said many, many years ago of this petition. He indicated that this petition was simply a request that God would give the church the bread that it needed to observe the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. I like what Elmer Towns says here. He says, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking for more than bread, although the petition includes our daily food. Bread is a symbol word that stands for all of our physical needs. Bread gives us strength to, to walk, strength to work, to dig, or to type at the computer. 
Bread gives us stamina that drives us to close a business deal. Bread gives the teacher the energy to handle restless children. Bread stands for the roof over our heads and the clothes on our backs. It stands for the car to give us basic transportation or subway money uh, to get us to work. Bread stands for fuel to keep our homes warm in the wintertime or for physical healing so we can work. And so this first petition is that God would provide for all of our physical needs. Because folks, if our daily necessities were not met, if our daily needs were not met, it would really be hard to focus in on anything else, would it not? I mean, it would be hard to focus in on the mission and the ministry that God has called us to if in the midst of that we knew that our family back home was starving to death. I mean, how could we focus on going out in the world and maybe going and doing something that we believe God had called us to uh, to do if our loved ones did not even have their needs met? And so we need our, our needs met. Now folks, we need to understand the difference in our audience today and Jesus' audience. You see, we tend to take our daily bread for granted. We assume it's going to be there. We walk over to the refrigerator and we open it up. And our refrigerator is full, our freezers are full. We go over to the pantry and we open the pantry up. And and, uh, if you're like uh, most people, your pantry probably doesn't have just the next day or two's food in it. You probably have enough food in your pantry for the next month. Maybe even more than that. But you and I need to understand that's not how Jesus' audience was. So many of them were day laborers and they essentially lived a hand-to-mouth existence. And so they would leave their fields during the day and they would go to the open air markets and they would buy what they needed to feed their family for that day or just the next day. And so they lived very tight economically. They lived very tight financially and they didn't have all of the savings accounts and all of the things economically that you and I enjoy today. I like what J. Vernon McGee in a little book entitled On Prayer has said. He writes, in America at this hour there is plenty. But this is the only nation where there is plenty to this degree. Yes, even a surplus. Famine stalks this world today in many areas. The third horseman of the apocalypse is racing even now across the land. We're living on an earth that has the curse of sin upon it. From the day that Adam sinned, God said to him, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now as a result of our abundance for which we can certainly be thankful in many ways is nonetheless a downside. Because folks if we're not careful we will lose the daily dependence that we should have upon God. It is so easy to be lulled into a false sense of security where we assume that we're always going to have everything that we need. Folks, you and I need to understand that it all belongs to God. And but for His grace and mercy, we could lose everything. I don't care how secure you think you are in this world, apart from God's sustaining grace, there is no real security. 
We live in an economy today where it's said that one in ten homes are involved in the process of foreclosure. One in seven among us are looking for jobs. Folks, a job loss or a, a, a catastrophic illness or something or a loss of benefits could drive any of us into bankruptcy at any time. If you're coming on Wednesday night, we have that section in our Wednesday night prayer list where we're praying for those in the church family who need jobs. I don't know if you're aware of this, but that list has tragically been growing. I think we're up to about 12 or 13 names now of people who are looking for jobs. And so we need to remind ourselves of where our provision comes from. If our pantries are full, if our, our, our homes are warm in the wintertime and cool in the summertime, if our stomachs are full, folks, let this first petition be a reminder to you of who deserves all of the credit. God does. You might say, well, Pastor... I've got a job and I work. I earn that money. I deserve the credit. But folks, who gave you the job to begin with? Who gave you the intelligence or the physical help to be able to go out and work that job? It's God that gave you all of that ultimately. It's like James says in James chapter 1 verse 17. He says, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. As God told Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. He placed within every plant, every vegetable, every fruit the seed necessary for the following year's harvest. And the children of Israel were warned in Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, they're right on the verge of getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And Moses calls the children of Israel together and he gives them three great discourses. And in one of those discourses, he reminds them of God's message to them. God says, when you go into the promised land, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey, and you have an abundance, you have everything you want, and out of the hills you can dig copper. And you're going to plant your vineyards, and they're going to produce bountifully. And you're going to plant your fields, and they're going to produce bountifully. And your flocks and your herds, you're going to get everything you need uh, from them. And, and your barns are full. God said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 8, He said, Be careful lest you forget the Lord your God. He went on to say, if you forget God and forget God's blessings, God is going to judge you just like He's judged all the nations around you. If you start saying, I did all of this, I did all of this by my might and by my power, God is going to judge you. And so they were warned. Somebody once said that the difference between believers and unbelievers is that believers are to recognize where our provision comes from and give thanks. Unbelievers can be like pigs that gorge themselves on the acorns at the base of a tree and they never look up to see from whence the acorns fell. Some years ago I told you about a poor widow woman, a godly woman. But she was a poor widow woman and oftentimes went through her, her days and, and, and she just barely had enough to get by. But boy, she was always praising the Lord. 
And an atheist lived in the apartment next door to her. And he got so tired of her talking about the Lord. And he overheard her one day praying for her daily provision. And he said, I'm going to teach her a lesson. And so he went to the grocery store and he bought bags full of groceries. And he put those groceries at her door. Well, she came next door and she told him, she said, See, I told you God provides for my needs. I asked for these things to be provided and God's provided them for me. And he said, You old foolish woman, God didn't give you those groceries. I did. I just wanted to see what you would say. And she said, oh, sonny boy, let me tell you this right now. She said, God's the one who supplied me with these groceries. Now, he might have used the devil as the delivery boy, but God's the one who gave me the groceries. And so this first petition serves as a reminder that we are fully dependent upon God. We need Him daily. It's daily bread that we need. Now, folks, it's interesting some of the history behind this word translated daily. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on Matthew points out that this word was not fairly confirmed until recent times. Scholars assumed it ought to be translated daily, but the only place it shows up in the New Testament is right here and also in Luke's gospel as this model prayer is repeated there. But fairly recently, archaeologists uncovered a discovery. They were over there in Israel digging at one of the tales, one of the mounds, one of the archaeological sites. And as they were digging, they uncovered an ancient site and some of the daily belongings of life in that village. And they discovered a papyrus. And on that papyrus was a woman's grocery list as she was to go to the market that day and one of the things she had on that that grocery list for that day was for her daily bread now as we pray this prayer it's indeed a recognition that we only stand by the grace of God folks we need to remember it's possible for a Christian to have some needs. The Apostle Paul spoke to the Corinthians of going hungry and thirsty. The writer of Hebrews speaks in Hebrews chapter 11 about former saints who sometimes went without. And so as we pray this prayer, we need to remember that it is daily bread that we're asking for. Our daily necessities. Now some want to go beyond that. They want to ask for the chocolate cake with the ice cream and the fudge topping and a, and a cherry or a strawberry on top, right? I mean, sometimes we can get to where we ask God not for our daily needs, but for our daily greens. But this is a petition that God would meet the daily needs of His children and their families. Now secondly, I want you to notice uh, from verse 12, Jesus says there in verse 12, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so it's a petition which is a confession of sin. Now if the first petition was a petition for our physical needs, this is a petition for our spiritual needs. You see, folks, as human beings, you and I don't just simply have physical needs. 
We have spiritual needs. We were created in the image of God. The Bible says a God breathed into Adam a living soul. Man is not just body. Man is body and soul and spirit. He's not just physical. He's a physical and spiritual and moral being. And just like for our bodies we have need, for our, for our souls we have needs too. And the greatest need you and I have in our soul is for the forgiveness of our sins. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Every day in our lives we need to go before God in our prayer time and we need to ask God that He would cover our sin with the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would be forgiven and clean. You know, some people are miserable inside because they don't have peace with God. They fear death. They don't have a sense of being forgiven. Some people just about drive themselves crazy because they don't feel like God in His righteousness could ever forgive them. But is that what the Bible says? No. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I want you to notice the word debts here in verse 12. This is one of the words in the New Testament for sin. There's others. There's the classic word for sin, which is harmatia. Harmatia refers to missing the mark. That's the basic word in the Greek language for sin. But there's another Greek word that has to do with trespass. And it emphasizes that we've crossed the line. We've crossed the boundary. Now maybe unintentionally, but nonetheless we've crossed the boundary. And then there's yet another word for intentional sins where we thumb our nose at God's commands. There's also a word that has to do with rampant lawlessness and rebellion. And then there's this word that has to do with debts. And it points out that we are debtors to God. In other words, we owe God perfect obedience, but we fail. We have a debt we cannot pay. It's not even within our ability to pay it. But God has graciously paid it in Christ. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the promise in the word of God is God will forgive us if we turn to him and admit our guilt. Now folks, this petition is a recognition that even as believers we constantly must depend on God's forgiveness as we sin. Now stay with me for a minute because there's a great tension in the Bible that we need to understand. Now as believers in Christ, we understand that all of our sins have been forgiven Past, present, and future. 
And it's those who've been redeemed by the grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. As those who've been forgiven, we are a new creation in Christ. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we know that Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the scripture points out that in our Christian lives... Because of God's grace and His mercy and forgiveness, we are to live differently. We are to be holy. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That is God's plan for us. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans, uh, the book of Romans chapter 6. He says, just as there was a day in your life that you presented the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, now that you're forgiven and in Christ, you're to present the members of your body as members of righteousness. So we're to be holy because we've been forgiven of so much. And we were so unworthy. We did not receive what we deserve, but we received grace and mercy. We receive heaven instead of hell. We receive now a relationship with God and peace with God instead of alienation from God. God has been so rich in His mercy. But the fact of the matter is, Oftentimes there are things in our lives that we need to deal with. I mean, even on those days that we feel, we look back over the course of that day and boy, we we can't really think of how maybe we were guilty of some false step. I mean, we tried to live that day in submission to the Lord. Folks, we need to understand on days like that, we're still guilty of at least sins of omission. I mean, who among us would dare say we've given God all the glory that is due His name? We fall short every day of our lives. And so John says in 1 John, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so every day we need to stay confessed up on our sin and we need to go to God for cleansing. Folks, just the recognition that every day there's that potential in us to do something very disappointing to God ought to keep us humbly dependent upon Him in confession. We need forgiveness. There's tremendous power when we're confessed up and we're clean before God. Henry Blackaby, the writer of Experiencing God, tells about a mission organization in 1985 that assigned a family to work in a predominantly Muslim city. Now after decades of work, this organization and this family, they had only had the opportunity of planting five churches and those five churches were very small and they were struggling. 
And so the leaders of all those churches got together and they along with that mission organization they got together started fasting and praying and they were wanting to ask God if maybe God wanted them to pull out of that area and go to some other area of the world. They spent all night one night on their faces before God on a dirt floor. And they were weeping and pouring their hearts out before God. And finally, God impressed upon them that he could not use them in that area like he wanted to because he, he had to have clean vessels to use. Revival broke out in that community. And they started confessing their sins. And they started getting right with God. Three and a half years went by. And they saw 132,000 professions of faith. And they planted another, another 156 vibrant congregations. God changed their effectiveness in ministry when they got serious about sin. Folks, could it be that God has been knocking on your heart about something and trying to get you more serious about sin? You need to see that you have offended a holy God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. And the Bible says there is no sin in heaven. And sin in God's children breaks His heart. And God disciplines us. God wants us humbly to confess our sins and get right with Him. And it's only as we do that is God going to be able to use us in the world the way He wants to. And then I want you to notice what Jesus goes on to say here. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If God has forgiven us of a debt we could never repay, then we'd better forgive one another of little itty-bitty debts. Isn't that right? Jesus told a story about that in Matthew chapter 18. About forgiveness. And, and Simon Peter said, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? And, and he said, seven times. And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but... Seven times 70. And he wasn't just talking there about 490 times, but unlimited forgiveness. And Jesus went on to tell a story about this master who had a servant. And this servant had squandered away a lot of his master's wealth. In fact, he ended up owing that master about $20 million in today's monetary figures. And the master found out about that. And so he called that servant in for a reckoning. And he said, I, I need an answer what, what it is that you've done with this. And, and you remember what that, uh, what that servant did? He cast himself on the master, uh, on the mercy of the master. Now let's just say for the sake of conversation, I owe Kevin Seeger $20 million. You'd like that, wouldn't you? $20 million. Folks, that would be a debt that there's no way I could pay a debt like that. And see, that's the analogy that Jesus is offering because we owe a debt to God that we could never repay. There is no amount of righteousness in my life or your life that we could ever work our way up to God in heaven. No way. 
Some people think they can be good enough. No, you can't. You see, when you start thinking that way, you're just simply comparing yourself to other people. But other people aren't the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. And up against Jesus Christ, every single one of us have come up short miserably. And so just like I could never pay Kevin Seeger $20 million, I could never pay this debt back to God. But Kevin shows me mercy and he forgives me. And man, I walk out of his presence and whoo, I'm shouting hallelujah because I don't know that debt. And all of a sudden I walk over here and I see this friend of mine, Kleine Biggs. And I remember we went out to eat last week and I paid the bill. He owes me 20 bucks. And I say, I need that 20 bucks. He says, I can't pay you. And I grab him by the throat. I throttle him is the Greek word here. It's grabbing somebody by the throat and lifting them up off their feet and almost choking them half to death. And I say, Kleine, you better pay me that 20 bucks. The absurdity of that. Kevin's just forgiven me $20 million and I can't forgive Kleine $20. And Jesus says in that parable, The master said to the guards, you go and get that servant. That servant was brought back into the master's presence. He threw him in jail until he could pay off that debt, which of course he could never do. What's Jesus illustrating in that text? Jesus is illustrating in that text, if you have been forgiven by an almighty, sovereign, merciful, gracious God of a debt you could never repay, then you better be able to forgive people around you. In fact, the warning is severe. If you don't have forgiveness in your heart for other people, in all likelihood it's because you're not really a Christian. Because see, as a Christian, who is it that dwells within us? It's the Holy Spirit of the living God. The God who's shown us mercy. The God who's shown us grace. The God who's forgiven us. How absurd to say that God dwells in me through the power of His Spirit. But I can't forgive. You see, there's got to be family likeness. And Jesus is saying if there's no family likeness, you know why? It's because you're not in the Father's family. Oh, some of us walk around and we say, Boy, I remember what you said to me five years ago and I ain't forgot it yet and I'm not going to forget it. How unlike Jesus Christ that is. And so he emphasizes it in verse 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Whoa. Confession of sin. As R.T. France points out in his commentary on Matthew, true forgiveness is is not just a one-way sort of thing where the believer is the only one to receive forgiveness. To receive it means that we must also be ready to grant it. Modern day example of forgiveness. 
phenomenal. It makes you think, how could anybody do that? Only because of God. November 1989, Sergeant Zev Trom was patrolling the beachfront road south of Gaza City. He and another Israeli soldier were ambushed in their jeep by Palestinian gunmen. The 40-year-old's death brought a unique dilemma for his widow. She could simply bury her husband or donate his heart to a need that she had learned about, an ailing Palestinian who desperately needed a new heart in order to survive. Bittersweet revenge could have prevailed if she denied the request and let one of them die since after all, they'd killed her husband. Instead, she chose to forgive. So outside the city walls of Jerusalem, where Jesus died for us, 54-year-old Mr. Kader, who had waited four months for a new heart, received new life from his political and religious enemy. Forgiveness. Third protection, uh, uh, third petition, divine protection. Look at verse 13. Jesus said, The third way we need to pray is, and Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this third petition deals with our moral lives as human beings, which refers to our need to obey God's righteous demands. Now, folks, this petition kind of throws up a red flag, doesn't it? Does it throw up a red flag in your mind? Boy, it throws up a red flag in my mind. You mean to tell me that God might lead us into temptation? And so we need to ask Him not to? No. After all, James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. Well, the word tempt here can also mean trial. You see, the root of this word is a neutral word, and it's context that determines if it's meant in the negative sense of temptation or the positive sense of trial. And so does it mean that likewise we're not to ever ask God to send any trials our way? No, because the Bible says God will send us trials to make us more mature and complete. Rather it's a petition which is basically saying, Lord do not allow us to step into any situation today that is over our heads and the evil one would gain a victory. You see, it's a prayer that recognizes first that we've got an evil one, Satan, who's our enemy. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion and he's going to and fro in the earth seeking somebody to devour. And we know that in our own strength we could not battle Satan. One of Satan's strategies is to get us into situations that we may not be ready for. And in the midst of that situation we would be particularly vulnerable and so this petition recognizes that God God who knows that we have an enemy God also knows our hearts 
After all, he knows the very hairs on our head. He knows what I'm able to endure and what I'm not able to endure. He knows my limits. He knows my boundaries. And so it's a petition to the God who knows everything about us and what our limits and boundaries are that He would not let us be overwhelmed beyond what we're able. It's much like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. And so it's trusting God. That God would just protect us within the limits that He knows that each of us has. Divine protection. Do you need divine protection? You better believe it that you do. Because again, you've got an enemy who seeks your destruction. I mean, at bare minimum, he seeks to ruin your testimony, to get you as a believer to do something whereby you wouldn't lose your salvation because I think we're saved and secure. We're held not by our power but by God's. But while we don't lose our salvation, boy, we sure can lose our testimony. So God help me. Give me the strength that I need. Now folks, as we think about the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer in its entirety, I want to remind you where we've been. It's a reminder to us that our prayer life ought to be varied. Again, we don't go before God just immediately saying, God, I need this and I want this. We go before God Honoring God's name, praying for His kingdom, praying for His will. Spending some time in praise and worship to God. And getting our focus straight. And then praying for our needs. You see, too often times in the church, even in our prayer meetings, they're kind of like organ recitals, aren't they? Lord, touch His heart. Lord, He needs a new kidney. Organ recital. And our prayer meetings are not simply to be organ reciters. Oh yes, we pray for our needs. Physical needs, spiritual needs, moral needs. But we also pray for those things in the Word of God that we know are near and dear to the heart of God. So there's balance in the Lord's Prayer. Perfect balance. Lord, teach us to pray. I wonder this morning if you have stopped to consider lately where your resources every day come from. Do you need to spend some time this morning as you pray for God to continue to meet your daily needs? Do you need to spend some time this morning maybe just saying, God, thank you for all you have provided for me. You've been gracious. I've not been without. 
I've had everything I need and then some. And God, I want to I recognize today that it's only by your sovereign grace that my needs have been met. God, you've been good to me. Do you need to offer that Thanksgiving this morning? And let me ask you a question. What are you doing with everything God's provided for you? Are you selfish and grabbing? Or do you have an open hand? God, it all belongs to you. What's your attitude toward what God's provided for you? Is there some sin in your life that maybe the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart about for days, weeks, maybe even months now? Because you've got some secret areas in your life that, boy, you don't tell God about and you don't tell anybody else about. And you just kind of keep those things reserved to yourself. Folks, God's not going to be able to use you the way He wants to if that's your case. Lay that at His feet this morning. Turn away from it. Ask God to cleanse you and give you victory over that. Maybe there's some wrong, some sin you've committed against somebody and you need to go to them and ask their forgiveness. Deal with sin in your life. Folks, sin is a big deal. Boy, in the modern church, we've got to thinking that, that sin just doesn't matter that much anymore. You don't even hear it talked about much anymore. It's a big deal to God. Deal with it. Maybe there's a trial, a battle you're going through right now. And boy, if you've ever been vulnerable in your life, you're vulnerable right now in the midst of that trial. And you need to say, God, I need strength. Boy, the evil one would love to come more into my life over this, over this trial. And he'd love to turn this into a playground for himself. But God, I want you to have the victory in it. Give me strength. And just like I mentioned last week, I could be talking to somebody who does not know Jesus Christ. The only prayer you really have right now is God be merciful to me, a sinner. Because see, Romans 5 and Hebrews 10 tells us we have access to God only through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ, you can't develop a prayer life, a powerful prayer life. But if you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus, and you're saved, you're gloriously saved, and your name written in the Lamb's book of life, and Jesus Christ becomes your Savior and your advocate before the Father, the Bible says you have access into the throne room of God, and you can go there boldly and confidently. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? Come pray with me. I want to show you. Uh, I want to pray with you about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home where brothers and sisters in Christ can pray with you about needs in your life. You step out of the pew where you are and come down the aisle closest to you. And Again, if there's things you just need to lay at God's feet, maybe in a public way at the altar, the altar's open. You be the first to come as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation. It'll be on the screens behind me.